0: Lenten season, which uh, just in case you didn't see, that was our first slide. That doesn't spell Uh, Lent. We are in the Lenten season, and um, we're within following the church calendar. Um, This is that season of time of 40 days, which that's what the word Lent means is 40. Um, The 40 days that lead up to Easter. Um, And so during that We're going to be studying from the book of John. And as we shared um, last week through this uh, study of John, um, the intent or the original form of Lent, just to recap, was something called the rite of election. It comes, Lent, from this beautiful thought that from the moment of creation, God elected and christened everything. All of creation was elected and christened. From the beginning, universally, they would actually say that from the foundation of the world, God has anointed everything. So we don't have godly buildings and ungodly buildings. We don't have sacred spaces and and secular spaces. Everything is anointed. So, the fast of Lent was a time to focus on the fact that we were made in love and we focus on the love that is the foundation of our being. As we do this, we wrestle with the places in us that reject to surrender to love. The 40 days of Lent is the wrestling to reject the places in us, to, to deal with, process the, place, uh, process the places within us, excuse me, that would reject to surrender to love what Lent is, so that in Easter we, what did Paul say, we are risen alongside of him, right? So what we're doing is we're not walking up to Easter glibly, we're not walking up to Easter just saying, well, we're here, it's time to celebrate, we're fasting in preparation to be raised with him. During this fast, we also embrace the fact that we have been elected to exchange in love with the entire universe or the cosmos. As we said last week, the idea of John in the, and the idea of
1: Lent is that the entire universe is God's tribe.
0: There is no, The Christians are not God's tribe. How many times have you read that? This is my chosen people. I've given them my name, and immediately we think
1: Christian. Guess what? Everything is his tribe. You were right. The Christians are in the tribe. The tribe's just bigger than that.
0: So um, what we find is the ancient call of Lent was actually a call of love to love. Remember last week we established that this wonderful group in Ephesus, so the book of John, which we're going to be studying, and this is something that the ancient church would do in the 3rd, 4th, 5th century probably, um, they would actually take the book of John as the reading all of Lent. So that's what we're doing. Never done this before. It's super weird to me uh, because I, it's weird for me to stay in a book like that. But that's just what we're going to do. Um, we established that the book of John was written from the church in Ephesus. The church of Ephesus had been established by Paul approximately 50 years before the gospel of John was written. So two things to remember. Number one, Paul never met Jesus. Two, Paul was not a disciple of Jesus. Number three, Paul had never read the Gospels. So the only idea of Jesus that Paul had is what other people told him and what he encountered firsthand. And when Paul encountered Jesus, Paul encountered Christ. He encountered something that was bigger than the man who lived for 33 years and walked in sandals. He encountered something that is universal and, and beyond our ability to grasp. He encountered something eternal. And so what you find is that John's gospel comes from a church or a group of people that were, first of all, Christians. The first thing w- that we need to understand, we'll look at this in a second, is that John's gospel was written to Christians. Okay? It was written to people who were established in the church. So they had an understanding. Their understanding came from Paul, not from the gospels. So they hadn't. They weren't, hadn't read about the Sermon on the Mount. They hadn't read the Beatitudes. They hadn't read the, um, the Begats at the beginning of Matthew. You know, They hadn't read all that stuff. So the only thing they knew was what Paul said. And if you read the book of Ephesians, what Paul starts with is this beautiful hymn that they used to sing together that all spiritual blessings from everything on high had already been invested and poured out upon all of creation. All in Christ, and Christ is in all. So, from that point, um, before we get into our Johannian text today, a few things regarding the background of the theme of this gospel. I have spent my life loving the book of John, I just never knew why. I thought it was because he was the beloved. Right? I, I, did, I thought that. That's what I thought. And that's true, but it's bigger than that. There's themes that you find in John That you don't find anywhere else. First of all, John gives no care for the synoptics. So the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John doesn't give a rip what those guys say. Those guys follow the same chronological order, those guys follow the same themes. John doesn't care. John's not trying to be historical.
1: of what i just said john is not
0: trying to give you a history channel documentary of jesus life john is trying to talk about something that's
1: more true than history okay as an american that makes no sense but Christian, we have to get there, that there's more true than fact. So, background of of John's
0: gospel, likely written from Ephesus in the year 90, 50 years after Paul founded the church there, so this gospel came way, way after the New Testament, okay? Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians had already been written, Matthew, Mark, Luke had already been written, this fact most people suggest the book of revelation had already been written which for us makes no sense why because revelation is the last book in our bible right but that doesn't mean it was written in that order (laughs) they didn't write genesis first and revelation last really freaky out if i start telling you the books in the old testament that were written after the books in the new testament but i won't do that today so like all four gospels the audience were christians The audience of John were Christians. John gives no attention to chronological order. If you notice, and we're going to talk about this, I think, next week, John puts the turning over of the tables, the cleansing of the temple in the second chapter. Where does that happen in the other three Gospels? At the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he goes to the cross. John does not care about chronological order. But, so, but if the Bible is a literal flat text, do you know how many years I spent trying to get things to line up? I actually taught once, I'm ashamed to say it, that because I had to believe the Bible was literal, that there were two temple cleansings. Because John had him do it at the beginning of his ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke had him do it at the end of his ministry. And if the Bible is completely literal and a flat text that's inerrant, it had to have happened twice know why I taught that? Because that's what people told me. Just being honest. So I taught it had to have happened twice. No, John is not the history channel. He's not trying. Neither is the other gospels for that matter. But he doesn't even care about chronological order. He's telling you a story. And he needed for his story to have the cleansing of the temple up front. So uh, John gives no attention to order. Originally found as the third gospel. Matthew, Mark, John, Luke was the way this was put together originally. We changed the order like 500 years after the Bible was compiled. The reason it was Matthew, Mark, John, Luke is because they wanted to have, first of all, because there was 1st and 2nd Luke. 1st Luke is the gospel, 2nd Luke is Acts. It wasn't called Acts. We just called it Acts. It was First and Second Luke. So they were. It. It, it really is silly for us to have split them up because they weren't supposed to be split up. In fact, if you stop with the last chapter of Luke and start with the first chapter of Acts, it's like you're reading the same book. But we we did this order thing, and um, what is interesting to me is. It was intended, do you realize that they were so, the early church fathers were so unconcerned with the Bible, not, um, what's the word, Um, conflicting with itself. That was such a little concern that they put, they wanted four different versions that actually argue with one another about how things happen. The Bible will show us that it has no issue with contradictions if we let it. The, Bible regul- the four Gospels contradict themselves. Do you realize we have the same three miracles happen in all four Gospels and they're told in four different ways? They wanted four different accounts to show us that the Bible is supposed to argue with itself because we're living in a faith that argues with itself. It's supposed to challenge us. It's telling us a different story. So next thing, the themes of John's gospel. This is in the third movement of the gospel. So the other thing is the four gospels we're supposed to talk to about, about the themes of our life. Bill and Martha Joe, do you guys remember on Tuesday, Regina, you were there, Tosh was there. Even in all faiths, you find movements of four. Those movements of four always speak of the progression or the journey of our life. So do you guys remember, um, as an example, uh, how many um, musical moments they had before they messed up all the sand? So what they would do is they would play, they would chant and, and play this, um, I think it's called a flugelhorn. Actually, I have no idea. I just said that. Uh, so they would play the flugelhorn, and then um, and then they would um, – this symbol, and they would say something and then they would sing and they would do this, you know, um, uh, you expected to see like a snake come out of the, the, the little basket, you know, because it kind of looks like that, that the horn did that they were playing. And then they would do this again. They did that four times. How many seasons do we have? How many directions do we have? Right. You find patterns of four all through our life. It's just baked into it. And so they wanted four gospels, but each gospel was to tell a movement or a place in the story. So we're literally moving through the theme and the story of the gospels
1: all the time.
0: Over and over and over and over. And then you do it again. How do you face change? And then the facing of change is always going to lead you into service of other. How do you face change again? And then you're developed into the service of other. All the time. So John's gospel is the third movement. Becomes the aha moment. Um, The other theme of John's gospel is oneness. The first movement towards total inclusion. John's gospel is the gospel that tells us everything is connected. Um, relationship, same thing, connects us to all things. Birds, Tree, Tosh and I went on a, on a nature park walk
1: yesterday, and it was awesome because I said hello to Brother Tree and Sister Son. And it's all connected. And as we were able to, you can
0: ask Tosh, we did, and we blessed them. And, and I know this sounds weird, but and I know this sounds like I'm some type of tree-hugging-granola-eating liberal. But the reality of it is, what I just told you was something that was actually believed in the year 200. So it's not new. It's just really, really, really old. So to all things john is the gospel and you'll notice this as we talk through the gospel the garden theme is everywhere in the book of john everything big happens in a garden everything in john why because it's all about relationship and it's connection to the earth so everything about john is oneness relationship and connection to the earth so the wedding at cana that's in a garden when he's taken before the high priest, that's in a garden. When they question him. When he's whipped, it says it's in a garden. He sweats great drops of blood. It's in a garden. When he's raised from the dead and Mary sees him, what does John say that's the only account that he says? She thought he was the gardener. John's account's the only one that tells us about where... Uh, the tomb was, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Guess what it says it was? He laid him in a garden. Why? Because how does John's text start? Does it start with the nativity? Do you realize John's gospel skips the nativity entirely? Why? Because it's starting with the garden. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He's telling the garden story again because he's saying Jesus is the new garden. This is Eden again. John's gospel. How do you find joy and live in resurrection? Finally, John follows a pattern of numbering. We're not going to talk about that today, but just so you know, John's the only gospel that numbers the signs, and it's an incredible thing, and it's going to like totally knock your you know, block off. I don't know. Uh, but um, we'll uh, we'll talk about that at some point. So a few things to remember. Uh, within the idea of this text, and we're going to move really quickly, um, we have to understand that in the background theme, John's passion is about conveying the need for us to embrace a larger v- vision, excuse me, of community and agree to walk with this larger vision in love. John is trying to bring us into an understanding that everything is in community. So the Jewish people had no issue with the fact that we all came from God. Where they had issue was that they believe everything came from God, but you go worship God over there. We're going to worship God here because if you didn't have Jewish blood, you weren't in the tribe. So you could be a lesser version of God's kids, but you weren't the same. What John is doing is John is following Paul's vision out of the Ephesian church. That everything is equal. What did Paul say? There's neither Jew nor Greek nor man nor woman. Do you realize what John just did? John said that sexuality doesn't matter.
1: John said that gender doesn't matter. John said that class doesn't matter. John said that race doesn't matter.
0: born doesn't matter. John says your sexual orientation doesn't matter. John says your color doesn't matter. Your name doesn't matter. Your blood doesn't matter. Nothing you're all in. You're made in and nothing can change that. That's what it says. So this is the idea of John. So one of the great sophisticated spiritual practices of Judaism, Judaism, excuse me, is to learn to pour out or self emptying without making yesterday wrong that's what john does. john is how do you find pain in or excuse me, joy in pain? and the jewish people did an incredible job of saying, how do i pour myself out and embrace change while not damning what i just was? how do i change and not call what i just changed from wrong? now, some things are wrong. some things we need to call it what it is. some things were wrong. But in many cases, it is, it is the cheapest version of accusation to damn what you just were. Because it's the easiest thing for you to begrudge. It's the laziest version of judgment. The laziest version of condemnation is to look at what you just were, see that in other people, and then condemn them. move from that point now you think you have the right to condemn them for being in that point and it's it is the laziest version of condemnation and it's also the easiest it's the most natural and so we have to fight that that the jewish people did that well uh you cannot get to the new place you are going while holding on to the certitude of the last place you've been while still trying to hold on to the certitude of the last place. You have to let go of the certitude, the comfort, the, the, the nurturing, all of the stuff that you find in that place before you can actually move into the new place. As long as you find your trust in that place and the answers you found there, you won't be able to fully embrace and include the things you need to include to transition into the new place. This is the message of John. So we're going to look at a couple things. John doesn't actually begin with the birth of Jesus because John's text isn't telling us about Jesus. I don't know if you just heard what I said because you would have been more mad. John's text, the gospel of John, doesn't start with the birth of Jesus because John's text isn't telling us about Jesus. John's text is talking about the Christ, something eternal and universal. And so within that framework, John's text is talking about Christ, and everything begins with Christ. So John's gospel shows us this pathway, a beautiful weaving of all things connected since the beginning. John isn't simply showing us Jesus, our Messiah. John is showing us the unfolding story of Christ in the universe, and so that's why John's story doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. John's story starts with the birth of everything. Because he's not talking about the birth of Jesus that came in sandals. He's talking about the birth of Christ that started the whole thing. John starts with the Big Bang called Christ.
1: Literally, I think I'm going to start calling it the Big Bang. Why? Because it's what it is.
0: It is what it is. It is. It, it is. That is, in the beginning was the word, and the word was, with, word was God, and the word was with God. That's what that is, where there's this igniting that happens, and God pours himself into all of creation. So John beautifully shows the aha moment where the scales fall from our eyes, and we are graced with a wider vision. We experience this progression on the journey of life over and over and over. And John gives us this with the necessary gift and
1: caution. The gift is that we are expanding and we will always be expanding. The gift of John is that if you want to move with the flow
0: of the divine, the divine is always growing and expanding and including you to move with him always have to be growing and expanding and including. As soon as you stop growing, expanding, and and including you begin to resist the flow of the divine. You begin to work against God. It's a different way to say that. So if we are not prepared for this, it will cause pushback. We're going to talk about that more in the next couple weeks. So the second major movement we talked last Sunday about uh, the prologue of John, John chapter one in the beginning. So the next thing, the second major movement of the gospel of John is the wedding at Cana. But to understand uh, the wedding in Cana, we fully start back just a little bit sooner with Peter's name you see John takes this exchange or episode and puts it in the front how many remember the story where Jesus and Peter are talking who do you say that I am you're the Christ the son of the living God He said flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you but my father who's in heaven and you are no longer Simon but you are Peter and upon this rock I'll build the church okay where do you find that in the gospel story
1: in Matthew 14 Luke 12, Mark 14. Where does John put it? Chapter 1. Chapter 1. He hasn't even told us about Jesus yet, and he's changing Peter's name. So, we
0: have to start there. You see, John takes this exchange and puts it in the front of the gospel. And John also doesn't associate this name change with Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. John's gospel is the only one that doesn't associate the name change of Peter with Peter saying you are Christ.
1: Jesus just changes his name. Say this John is trying to convince you that who your
0: identity is has nothing to do with how much you know, how much you confess, how well you perform, or how well you function. We have no issue with the other three synoptic gospels because we think if we can get to the point where we can call things correctly, then we get the reward of a name change. And blood didn't reveal this the father does and my name gets changed because i did something i got something john starts it off and says nope
1: your name gets changed because you are not because you do
0: so it starts and in john uh, the end of the first uh, chapter of john you find this and i'm going somewhere we're going to the wedding in Cana, So everybody hold on to that, Vicky, hang on to that. Okay, thank you. Hang on. Okay. The very next day, John was there again with the two disciples and asked <clears throat> as Jesus was walking right past them. John, gazing up upon him, pointed at him and said, "Look, there's God's Lamb. You know this, right? So you know this passage." And as soon as John's two disciples heard this, they were immediately uh, left John and began to follow a short distance behind Jesus. Then Jesus turned around and saw they were following him and asked, "What do you want?" I love that passion translation. Where he "What do you want?" Isn't that funny? That just kind of says it. Just what do you want? They responded, Rabbi, which means master or teacher, where are you staying? Interestingly enough, everything in John is connected. Everything in all in the scripture is connected. Everything in John especially. So has anybody ever heard of in the book of John the word abide? Right? So John 14, the great abide. If you abide in me and I abide in you and you abide in the Father as I abide in you. All that stuff, right? Guess what? John starts with the first interaction with anybody. Where are you staying? That actually is the question.
1: Where is your abiding? The whole gospel of John is about
0: your abiding whole gospel of john is about your connectedness and your place in the garden and your place in the father and your place in connectedness with everything else because it's all resurrected it's all living and breathing and moving because he is the one who gives life and breath in him we live and move On. So he goes on, and Jesus answered and said, come and discover for yourselves. So they went with him and saw where he was staying, and since it was late in the afternoon, they spent the rest of the day with Jesus. One of the two disciples who heard John's words began to follow Jesus was a man named Andrew, and he went and found his brother Simon and told him, we've found the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet him. When Jesus gazed upon, gazed upon excuse me, Andrew's brother, he prophesied to him and said, you are Simon, your father's name is John, but from now you'll be called Cephas, which is the rock, Peter. Not the rock, the WWF guy, in case anybody was confused about the origin. So uh, so Peter walks up and Jesus says, "Do you smell No, that's a different that's a different rock altogether. okay? So Jesus doesn't lay on the people's elbow. Uh, Jesus really clearly says, "You are the rock." Now, had John done anything? Had John said
1: you were the Christ, the Son of the Living God, flesh and blood didn't reveal to you this. Oh, what did he do? He just walked up. He did nothing. He wasn't even
0: the one who said they found the Christ. His brother did. His brother's the one that said we found the Christ. Peter just. He just got in the car. He wasn't even the driver. You know, that's the idea. That's what John's trying to convince us. So when Jesus calls him Peter, most of our Bibles use, what's this word right here? Rock, right? Most of our Bibles translate Petros, rock. Interestingly enough, though, the reason, uh, uh, let me back up. Interestingly enough. Every other time Petros is used in the Bible it's translated stone not rock. And this is very very important. The reason this is very important is because when we lose in we lose that translation what we lose within that is that throughout the Mediterranean stone was known as the incorruptible substance. Stone was not rock. Stone throughout the Mediterranean that time was an incorruptible item, something
1: that was incapable of taking on contaminants. So when you walked around through the city and they had these stone pots called mikvahs
0: or the baths that you would ritually wash yourself in to become pure from sin, they were stone pots and stone and the reason they did this is because, according to the book of Le, uh, Leviticus, chapter 11, if you want to look it up, you can. God told them that stone, first of all, an entire pot or an entire mikvah had to be made of one stone. So they had to find a big enough stone of the right kind to carve it out of. That's kind of cool. So and then it had to be a specific kind of stone because God had told them that that stone will not take on your sin. When you cleanse yourself in it, so you would wash your hands in it and somehow the stone didn't take on the contaminants of what you washed off. That was in the ritual. So it made you pure and clean. And so rock was not incorruptible. Stone was. And so it's interesting because within the understanding here, what we have to understand is that Jesus is not calling him a rock. Like a, a building block. That's what we think about, upon this rock. And then we pull over that other thing about uh, that my, this house is built upon a rock, not upon the sand, all that stuff. No, no, no. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about a rock like that. He's saying to Peter, and through Peter, John is trying to inform us that he's saying it to
1: everyone, that you are incorruptible. Nothing you can put in you or
0: on you or come out of you that can change who you are. You can cover it up, you can reject it, you can refuse it, but it can't change you. So Jesus looks at Peter not out of performance congratulations. Jesus looks at Peter And speaks to the core of who he is and says, you are stone. You are incorruptible. All of humanity and everything that's ever been created in the
1: cosmos is incorruptible. See, your first story is not being fallen. Your first story is not sin nature. is incorruptible pure good and in that way Jesus
0: looks at Peter first and says that and the best metaphor I can find in our culture you know how we would say something is pure as gold that's how they would say pure as stone so they would have known exactly what John was trying to convey but somehow we made it into rock because we want to build something on wasn't talking about its ability to not because once again and isn't that metaphor powerful we made it into rock why because we're looking for function I want to build I I need a foundation I can build on we're doing something I need I'm looking for function Jesus is saying I don't give a rip about your function I'm talking about who you are not what you do because who you are is going to affect what you do It never goes the other way effectively. It just doesn't. So when Jesus says this, this is very, very, very important. So Jesus is in this story. John's trying to explain this depiction about us and the divine nature of our being. In the midst of this text, Christ is calling all of us incorruptible in our original design. Then we come to the wedding in Cana. And you can't get Cana if you don't get Peter. Okay? Now on the third day, there was a wedding feast in the Galilean village of Cana. And the mother of Jesus was there. John and his disciples were all invited to the banquet. But with the other thing about John's gospel is it's all about parties. Seriously. Everything's a party. Where does it start? They were invited to a banquet. It's a party. That's John's gospel. Why? Because it's about commune fellowship and connectedness and tables so uh, but with so many of the guests in attendance they ran out of vino that is a travesty and while mary realized that she came to jesus and asked they have no wine can you do something about it jesus replied my dear one don't you understand that if i do this it won't change anything for you but it will change everything for me my hour of unveiling of my power has not yet come do you realize the only two people that effectively corrected jesus in the bible were both women i'll just leave that as it is the only time jesus was corrected and changed what he was doing said yeah you're right i was wrong were both women just leave that where it sits none of the women amen and that's really not the response i was expecting but that's okay so, uh, the, my hour of unveiling my power is not yet come. Mary then went to the servers and told them whatever Jesus tells you. I love that Mary ignores his reply completely. Jesus says, no, it's not my hour. This is going to change nothing for you, but it's going to change everything for me. She says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever he tells
1: you next, he's getting ready to. Do. Isn't that just like a mother?
0: In the best way. In only the best way. I love that, though. She completely ignores. And we think that Mary is like some, you know, perfect little like this. No, Mary is, I can't use on a Sunday morning the term for bad something she is, but she's that. Okay? You just, you just, I'm inferring enough. You just apply. She is, she does not mess around. I I love this about Mary. Okay? She is so awesome. So, Uh, In fact, oh, another thing that's really cool about the church in Ephesus, do you realize who started it? Paul started it, soon
1: to be followed by John the Beloved because he took Mary there to help run the church. But we shouldn't have women pastors today. Whatever Jesus
0: tells you, make sure that you do it. Now, there were six stone water pots standing nearby. They were meant to be used for the Jewish washing uh, rituals. Each one held about 20 gallons or more. Jesus came to the servers and told them, fill the pots with water right up to the very brim. Then he said, now you fill your pitchers and take them to the master of the ceremonies. And when they poured out their pitcher for the master of the ceremonies to sample, the water became wine. And he tasted the water that became wine The of the ceremonies was impressed, although he didn't know where the wine had come from, but the servers knew, and he called the bridegroom over and told him, every host serves his best wine first for everyone to have a cup or two and get plastered, and then he serves the wine of poor quality because they're already schnookered. Plastered and schnookered are both Greek, um, so I can use those. But you, my friend, uh, and I love that the master of the ceremonies has already got his load on, but he still— is able to tell them, hey, this is some good wine. Isn't that funny? I love this exchange, how John just writes this. It doesn't sound like a drunk guy. You know, he's not slurring in the text. I don't know. It's just funny to me how he how does it. This miracle in Canaan was the first of many extraordinary miracles Jesus performed in Galilee. This was a sign revealing his glory, and his disciples believed him. So this is super, super important. So part of what we need to understand about this text Is everything in John matters? Every detail John tells us and every detail he leaves out. Does he tell us how many people are at the banquet? Nope. Does he tell us um, who's getting married? Nope. Does he tell us how Jesus knew him? Nope. Does he tell us why Jesus was there? Was he invited? Was he a wedding crasher? First century. Uh, You know, we don't know the details of this. We really don't and Vince Vaughn come walking into the wedding. You know, I, you, it doesn't talk about how this works. And so what, what's so interesting is he leaves out some of the most obvious details. If you were telling a story, wouldn't you tell about the wedding? It was a beautiful ceremony. The vows were great. They broke some plates and said, Opa, you would give them something. He gives nothing. But what does he tell us that is super important well the first thing he says that's super important is he says what there were six there you go you're on to something and the and the water pots were made of what start recognizing the details matter. Everything he says matters and everything he doesn't say matters. So in this understanding, the significance of the fact that these were not, first of all, what this tells us more than likely, this was a, um, the, the family, this was probably a, a Jewish, um, uh, priest family, a holy family why they had these washing baths there so many of them they had extras (laughs) this the second thing is when you look at the where they would have a wedding i mentioned this already but they would have actually had this this would have been in the courtyard which is where the garden was is where they would have been having this feast the other thing that's really interesting that you see is that they had sitting around these stone water pots you don't have after a three ritual jewish cleansing if the jewish um, ritual path isn't super important so while they were partying and enjoying this wedding feast they were going over and cleansing themselves to stay pure this is people who had a high value in jewish and levitical ritual okay so jesus takes those and you can reference we talked about this during the wrecking religion series uh, so I'm not going to give you the details of all this but Jesus takes those pots and causes the ritual cleansing water to become wine
1: i don't think we can comprehend in our culture how offensive that is
0: be like making the closest thing i mentioned this before that i can think of it'd be like making jello shots
1: in the baptismal shot glasses
0: I mean I can't think of like it'd be like me you know passing out screw top bibles you know we can't possibly think of
1: how offensive this would be this is the water
0: Enough. The second thing that's really interesting is that there's six stone water pots. So to first of all, understand why the stone is so important. Remember, what is it that John has just told us about Peter? You are stone. It's that same thing. Why? Because it's incorruptible. So he is actually talking the way, Do you realize that they, so we spent all this time, I was trained as a pastor to spend all my time. So I was trying to figure out like where Cana was actually find there is no city canaan in the first century so the the first thing to think about is that it's quite possible that this is not supposed to be primarily a historical story you can't actually find a city in, of canaan until
1: about the fourth century because john's not trying to give us history he's trying to tell us something the wedding feast is us
0: He's done telling Peter, you are incorruptible, you are pure, you are called good from the beginning. And then inside of that goodness, he makes wine. Why? Because inside of our own perceived
1: goodness, all we can do is wash ourselves from sin. All we bring to
0: the table is our water. Interestingly enough, he says there is six stone water pots. Okay, so this is going to be quick, but stick with me if you would. John says that the stone water pots, there are six of them within Jewish consciousness. This first speaks of the number of humanity. On the sixth day, God created man and woman. So the first thing to understand is the number six always speaks of humanity, which is why people did that whole weird thing where John Hagee decided that the number 666 was humanity gone wrong? Is it's human, human, human's number? I mean, seriously, 666, human, human, human. So Hal Lindsey and John Hagee got together and decided that that's how, that was where we decided to try to become a god. That's so messed up. The Jewish consciousness would have looked at six and always said, oh, that's talking about man and woman, that's talking about humanity as a whole. And it
1: was never a reference to fallen humanity. It was a reference to divine humanity. See, we see six and see fallenness. He sees six and sees his image. On the
0: sixth day, he created man and woman in his image and likeness and called it very good. In fact, it's the only very good in the whole creation. Everything else
1: is good, 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 good. Very good so
0: then the other thing about this 6 that's deeply layered with understanding is do you have to understand for them the number 6 so the number 6 is um in the um uh, yeah here we go there we go so in the jewish alphabet and i'm finishing within the next hour uh w- within the jewish alphabet The idea of numbers becomes really important because the first thing they would have traced it back John's gospel starts telling us the Genesis story again remember we said last Sunday John had to retell the opening of Genesis so now you're in Genesis chapter 2 what happens in Genesis chapter 2 he's still telling this creation story but now he's talking about man's story you find the second creation poem in Genesis 2 right talked about that before so now John story again but he's talking to us about this beautiful thing that we are water being turned constantly into wine and he uses this really i i'm kind of actually proud that i was able to find this and put it up there for you to look at that's what the 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 uh letter hebrew letter vav v-a-v it's where we get our english phrase vavavum no i'm just kidding i made that up actually entirely uh but uh the, the idea of V-A-V, Vav, is, is this sixth letter of the Jewish alphabet. And to understand this, we have to understand that it's shaped like a hook on purpose. See where that comes up? And it's, it is literally a hook. So what they did is they did this because it is a hook that holds two things together. That's how the Jewish people, that's why they wrote it like that. So they said this word is the sixth thing that is going to be designed to hold two things together. The first time, oh, uh, it, its property is used as a connection. It's normally translated as and in in the Old Testament and is always used to join two things together. First time this word is used. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the connection between heaven
1: and earth and its his breath, and connected them in you. So in that way, the six water pots
0: that John uses are deeply important. He didn't say seven. He didn't say 30. And he gave it. He doesn't tell us how many people are there. And he's telling us how many water pots there are. Because he knows exactly what he's saying. So this first letter joins literally the non-physical and the physical. Heaven and earth, the spirit and matter in all of creation. And that joint connection is found in the sixth letter of the alphabet, which is the hook, the connection, you. He says that you are in that way stone, incorruptible. You are Your flesh is just as divine as your spirit. Your flesh is not the enemy. Your body, your soul, and your spirit are one, and they're all connected inside of who you are because that's how he made them to be, and he looks at them and says, it's pure, it's incorruptible, it's divine, it's my image, it's good. That's the idea. So in that way, Then comes further and takes us into this incredible idea of what it might mean for water that we bring, which is our mess, which is life, which is fear and anxiety and doubt and pain and bitterness and frustration and offense. That's the water that's inside of you. But he says the water can't affect you. The water doesn't change your identity and your being because it's incorruptible. Your being is stone, and stone can't take on corruption. So he says, all I want you to do is inside of your incorruptibleness, hold your fear, hold your doubt, hold your anxiety, hold your pain, like a pot holding water, knowing that when he changes us, the transition is always water to wine. But he uses the water to get to wine. He doesn't pour the water out and then pour wine in journey is you being able to hold yourself and say, I'm not changed by what I feel, what's inside of me, all of the junk, bring it to the table and know that the whole time he's looking at you saying, I'm calling you pure. You are good. You are divine. You are incorruptible. All of the stuff that you put inside and on top of yourself to try to deal with and process the pain. The stuff that has has happened inside of us, the schisms and isms and junk that are the ramifications of our life is the water. And he says, I don't tell you to pour it out. I tell you, hold it because I'm making it wine. He doesn't want you to dump it. He wants you to hold it. Because without it, he has no substance to make wine from. That's what John's story is starting with. It's starting with this connection that says you are the connection between heaven and earth. You are the and that joins all things inside of you is that thing where in many ways the Emmanuel is manifest where God says, "Okay, I'm going to demonstrate myself. Do you realize we have spent our entire life trying to take the elevator up? to become more spiritual, Jesus came down to be flesh. Jesus said, the greatest way that I want to demonstrate who God is, is put on what we've been busy trying to take off. It's the embodiment that showcased his love. So why do we spend so much time trying to not be flesh? Trying to say that our body's a liar, our emotions are a liar, our mind's a liar, all
1: that stuff. No. No. Hold it. Let it be wine.
0: Wine is the joyous story of you being able to hold your fear and your trust in perfect tension so that that incredible alchemic experience creates the elixir
1: of his perfect joy what john's talking about so john is saying that this incredible
0: thing where opposites are held together do you realize the other thing this is really cool the other thing that happens so the jewish people have such a value for six which is the opposite once again it's it's heaven and earth it's the connection between seeming polarities does that make sense i know what i mean by that so it's the connection between seeming polarities so when you have the star of David, which is now became the Israel, the flag of Israel, how many points are on the star of David? And it's the perfect union of the downward pointing triangle and the upward pointing triangle. The downward pointing triangle and the upward pointing triangle is the perfect union between the male and the female. So it is all the six is all about the connection of seeming opposites. It's the connection of the things that don't make sense. So all facets of this journey is about that. So John is saying you are here, which is the first miracle. That's the first opposite. Somehow dirt, stardust and the presence
1: of God made you.
0: It's just the reality. Have you thought about the miracle that you're here?
1: You get to do this. And it's more than just like you were the winning swimmer. I mean, it really is. Like, we kind of think that, don't we? Like, I'm,
0: I just swam faster. If you don't know what that means, just see Pastor Bill
1: after the service, and he'll be happy to kind of explain how that all works. uncomfortable, that means please keep talking. I know
0: his signals. Uh, So the, the way that that works, it's the miracle that you're here. So why have we got this miracle that we're here and we spend our entire life trying to go somewhere else? Like this is the training ground for heaven. Why have we spent our life? focusing on the eastern sky, rapture, death, however else we can get out of here, when the whole miracle is that we're here. You're here. You're in the flesh. Jesus, when he wanted to show you, don't be afraid, this is how much I love you and I've never been separate, put on what we regularly tell people is fighting against their spiritual identity. Flesh. That is a Take off after you've served your sentence. That's what I was told. So what happens is John says you're here, and he shows us that this is the deep thing connecting us all together as a, this is the coolest thing I'll say all day. I I read this like, like six times. I think this is really super fun. That it connects us all together as a cosmic community of abundance. overflowing and expanding forever. John is about resurrection, and resurrection is always about thriving. But we will not know that until we embrace that all belongs in that journey. That is when we move from transaction, which is where I lived. Transaction means I say Jesus is the Christ, and he says he changes my identity.
1: to transformation. Transformation requires nothing but my surrender. gives us some specific details
0: and leaves out specific details. The servants fill the pots to the very brim it says this is telling us that this communion we have uh, with His ever infilling presence of love is filled to the brim. The nature of God's extravagance and the grace that is extravagant is never having to do with subsistence but always with abundance The nature of God's
1: extravagant grace never has to do with subsistence, but always abundance. God is never lacking. Ever.
0: And much like we have found the water of life that we bring only becomes the wine of divine through relationship and communion in his presence. As much as we might not like it, typically the best wine, the wine of deep communion comes
1: After we have become accustomed to the taste of other wines,
0: as much as we might not like it, the best wine usually comes later in the journey after we've already drank
1: and become accustomed to the taste of other wines. by our previous wines, can he change it into the wine that's the best? The reason is, until we are willing to let the deep water of who we are,
0: unashamed, without rejecting the places of fear and doubt and pain, but including them in the recipe, there cannot be the alchemical process of finding commune in community. Finding the place where our radiance is defined by your ability to hold the tension of your pain and your joy. I'm going to say that again. Finding the place where your radiance is defined by your ability to hold the tension of your pain and your joy. Not defined by how well you perform, how well you do, how well you obey. The tension of trust and fear. The story of John is about waking up over and over and over and always, here and now, always waking up. That's the story of John. So that is the second movement of, of the gospel of John. That is the second movement that we find in this gospel during Lent where we as people get to live in this commune, in this divine dance of who he is and who where he shows us how to value ourselves
1: better. And that he's not looking for our performance to do it. So, on uh,
0: next, excuse me, not this next Sunday, because Pastor Bill's going to be preaching, the following Sunday, uh, we're going to look at the Nicodemus story. And we're going to talk about the, the, the tension. Uh, Specifically, we're going to talk about the other inner voices. Remember we said what what John shows us is the gift of expansion and the caution that you have to have with it. Nicodemus is all about the, the things we need to be cautious of, knowing the inner voices and the outer voices that try to hold you back and how they work. That's the next movement of John. So, before you leave, I'm going to leave this card up here. Tosh, do you have a pen? Uh, or can somebody get a pen to, um, thank you, uh, to use? And um, we'll, uh, you know, leave that for everybody to, to sign. Um, as we pray and dismiss, we're going to bless
1: this, and we're going to bless our Muslim brothers and sisters. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes.
0: And if anybody wants to to give an offering, maybe you weren't able to be there the other night, um, or you would like to give uh, towards the Beyond Homeless um, offering that we're going to be doing, feel free to do that. That's fine. You can do that. At, uh, just note that on your offering slip, and we'll make sure to to uh, do that adequately. Um, and I think that is all of our announcements, I think. So once again, no service Thursday, no midrash. Midrash, mid-rash at home. Okay. Self-midrashing. Uh, and um, and Sunday for normal service with Pastor Bill, and then next, the following week, um, uh, we'll be back for normal midrash, okay? So, Father, we love you. Um, you are you are everything. We thank you, love, for our, our life, this gift that you've given us, this wonderful outpouring of who you are into us. We thank you that you've looked at us, and you have said we are stoned. All of your creation is at its core incorruptible. It is at its core pure. It is at its core good, whole, and well. And we ask you that you would cause us, Father, to, to embrace that, that as Peter did from the beginning of the story, that we would not... Um, look for some action to warrant your embrace, your affirmation, but that we would just be who you said we are, that we would surrender to your voice. We would surrender to the loving, caring arms of trust, and that in the midst of that, we would be able to be that incarnation to the world. Help us to be the body and the blood that is poured out Help us to pour ourselves out. Well, we ask you specifically on this day for all of the other faith expressions that are happening throughout the world. Father, we bless our um, Hindu and Buddhist brothers and sisters. We bless our Muslim brothers and sisters. We bless our and our christian and our protestant and our pentecostal and our baptist and our methodist and our jehovah's witness and our mormon and our anything else that i might have forgotten brothers and sisters and we ask you that you would just pour your love and your grace and your presence upon them we love them we embrace them and help us to embrace what they bring to the table help us to know that the table is big enough for what they bring and help us to recognize that it is a potluck and we need what they provide. And so help us to eat and drink fully of what you've given them. And we ask you that you would bless this card that we're gonna give. Um, and Father, that, that your love would be found in it. Beyond our words, beyond something as small as this paper, we ask you that compassion and grace, peace and love and comfort would be found within it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you all.
1: God bless you. Have a good day. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this
0: message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online at harvesthouse.blog.